listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time Podcast. Let me set the scene. One of the best things about working at a theatre company is that there's almost always someone on hand with a niche skill to perfectly fix your niche problem. When that problem is a stain, rip, or any other kind of wardrobe emergency, that person is wardrobe coordinator Barb. She's got the perfect mix of magic potions and tricks to perfectly preserve our costumes so we can enjoy them now and in the future when we need to reuse the same pants 30 years after they were last worn on our stage. Today, she's joined by our artistic director, Lee Lewis, to talk about how she came to work at Queensland Theatre and what it's like to work in the wild world of wardrobing. Enjoy. everyone. I'm Lee Lewis, the Artistic Director here at Queensland Theatre, and we are back for another Quality Time podcast. That question of what it is to actually have a full-time theatre company and why a state theatre company is a big one. And I want everybody to actually meet the, the secret geniuses that live inside the company who would not otherwise meet. So this is a bit of a secret tour inside the company. While I'm saying this, I'm acknowledging that most of the work that we make here at Queensland Theatre is on the lands of the Yagara and the Turrbal people, and that the stories we tell are a part of a storytelling tradition that goes back for tens of thousands of years. It's a real privilege to add new stories to these lands and we do it listening to and learning from our Aboriginal elders at every, at every step. So joining me today is one of my, uh, I would call it one of my secret weapons if you like. Barb works in the costume department and I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Barb. Hello, I'm Barb Kerr and I'm the wardrobe coordinator. Now, we'll see that title in a in one of our programs. We'll go, well, a, a wardrobe coordinator, what, is, what does that do? Give us, a, give us an overview well, of what you <laughs> Many things. Mm-hmm. Um, help to create the workroom, make sure that all the supplies are available, stock the fitting room when we've got fittings with actors, do all the lists so that everyone knows what the artist is wearing, how they're laundered, all the associated things with a costume, but not designing. So all things costume and the actual day-to-day handling and management of all things costume. Correct, yes. I'm a a bit of an organiser. I like things to be in their certain place so that it's easy for everyone to access and certain processes so that we have the same sort of result for each style or project that's required. Cool. Now, State Theatre Company, we're one of the few companies in the country lucky enough to have a wardrobe workshop, Mm -hmm. uh, costume rooms in the same building as the theatre. And for those of you who have taken on of our backstage tours, we all have taken you into the costume room. And I always find it's kind of like the creative centre, the creative heart of the company, because that's where the, the designers, the actors, me from time to time, and all of the hands that go into the making of the show will actually coalesce around a character. So that's where the character has come to life, really, isn't it? Yes. And then a magic thing happened during COVID, the thing that never happens. We had time (laughs) to essentially go through the entire wardrobe and 
sort things out that we would never have had time to sort out otherwise. What, what was that like? Uh, well, as you said, it's not a normal occurrence. Time is a factor. But yeah, a, a good way of being able to catalogue things so that we've got easier access when we do have designers either on site or off site so that they know we catalogue, um, we've done hats, we've done, yeah, lots of sorting and lots of rearranging to make it an easier process. And the more the more organised that is, mm. the more recorded it is, the easier it is for designers around the country to know what materials the mm. company already owns, right? Correct. So someone like Renee Mulder, <laughs> my fave, I'm not supposed to have favourites, but I do. Renee's knowledge of what lives in the building is quite mm. extraordinary, but her ability to put her hand on it is dependent on essentially you keeping it in order so she can quickly. Yes, we've streamlined things so that they are in an easier accessible way. With the renovation of the Billy Brown, we were lucky enough to get a renovation of our wardrobe storeroom. So instead of having lots of little pokey rooms and looking in one room and going to another, we were able to condense everything so it's just in one big space. Um, Which I have to say, as a director, is pretty amazing because sometimes I'll just go wander through there mm. and I just look at the different clothes from different times, different colours, different styles, and it's a source of inspiration because mm. I, sometimes I don't know what something is, but I'll be able to point to a colour that's on to the totally wrong thing, <laughs> and so it's not right, but that colour's right. Yes. So it's like a catalogue of thoughts mm. in the creation of character space. Yeah, it's an inspiration as well, like, as you said, may not be the right piece, but gathers something that's right. Yeah. And there are extraordinary rooms that we have, like the military room, mm, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, what's the range of military material that we actually have? Well, we've got various country styles as well. Yes, we're very lucky with the the size of what we've got in that military room. And part of the job is about keeping it, right? So <clears> that we've, once we've spent money on something, we, we store it in the hope that we'll use it again sometime or that someone else can. Mm. So other companies might contact us and go, have you got this? And yes, we'll correct. share it out, right? Yes, we do do loans for other companies and hire out costumes as as available. Yes. And then maintain them because as soon as they're used, there is wear and tear. Yes, definitely. There are some things that are just a visual that we have that can't be worn because of the vintage era or the fabric quality. Oh, so a designer can look at it and kind of go, I want that, can we copy that, mm. but you don't use the original because it's too precious. Yes, and we, yes, we can use that as a pattern piece oh, okay. by using the style. Or You know, I was talking to Nat Reiner, who is the head of the department, the other day about First Casualty because, mm -hmm. of course, that shows, you know, COVID, great, year mm -hmm. three of COVID, loving that. And we've just postponed that play till the end of the year, but we had a lot of costumes already collected from soldiers who were lending us, mm. I was about to call them costumes, but their <laughs> uniforms, <laughs> their uniforms for the cast, and the difficulty of getting the helmets. Yes. So we've got one. And then we were talking about how to reproduce them. And, you know, do we? You, know, you can't really just cover up skateboard helmets. People know the <laughs> know the shape. And then we were talking about the possibility of three D printing. Mm. Things she said, oh, I hadn't even thought about three D printing. She said, I haven't done very much of that. Mm. She said, but I guess we absolutely could. So that question of new technologies coming in, there are new technologies and new fabrics coming into existence mm -hmm. all the time, and then how we manage those, how we preserve those, what that is, becomes part of the work of the company. Yes, correct. Yeah. I'm also fascinated by we get a lot of donations of furs. Yes, we do. 
our store of furs is quite I amazing. Wait, I keep <laughs> waiting to do a big fur play because we do have an amazing fur store. And fur is one of those things I think what we find is a lot of families when mum mm. or dad passes away and they, they're going through the, the wardrobes, mm. they'll find beautiful furs and there's such guilt about them yes. now. But people go, oh, I can give it to the theatre. At least they'll have a use. Yeah, the reliving of something that's... But they're quite complicated mm. to store. What do we do mm. with them? Well, when we receive a donation, it goes in the freezer to start with just to make sure that there's no bugs or moths in it that would then be attracted to all the other furs in the environment. And then, yes, they're catalogued in their different styles and bagged in special calico bags to protect them from Because the they've elements. got to breathe, don't yes, they? Yes, so there's, they're all spaced out so that it's not in a compacted area. Yeah, right. And hanging with lots of airflow. Yeah, right. Mm. Do they last forever? No. No, they don't. They tend to, they can break down, especially in the Queensland humidity. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. It's not really the climate meant for fur, is it? (laughs) not really. (laughs) (laughs) There might be a one-week window of opportunity in our winter, but, yes, besides that. What are some of the other complex materials or pieces that you? Well, the natural fabrics like, your, your wools and things like that, your moths are very attracted to that sort of thing. So we have lost quite a few pieces in that instance, but we now have um, specialised moth lights that get yeah, right. serviced and make sure that, yeah, and we do a check through to make sure that there's nothing occurring. Because there's nothing worse than thinking in your head, oh, we've got the perfect thing for that, and you pull it out. Pull and it out and it's <sighs> not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mould is another big factor as well, but the air conditioning and, yeah, making sure things it's always, are stored. It is always freezing in costume. Yes, it <laughs> <laughs> It's not a sweat box. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. But there, are, you turn a corner and there's another whole magical thing. You kind of go, oh, yeah, right, all the shoes, mm. all the boots, especially period shoes, again, yes. things that we wouldn't be able to buy now. But the, that question of decision about what gets kept and what doesn't, what's mm. that process like? More so what is easy to repurchase if, yeah, if okay. it's something that's you know you'd be able to purchase easily. Yeah, um, okay. But if it's in a good condition, we're going to keep it. Well, we're, look, we're, there was an amazing yeah. moment on stage with uh, Steve Peary's play Return to the Dirt last year, which was a Renee Mulder design, and we consciously, you know, in the times that we're in, trying to, like, not spend money that we don't have. And Renee's got a particular gift for repurposing and re-seeing things, mm. putting them together in different combinations. And there was a moment on stage, and for those of you who saw the play, a moment uh, where there were three golfers on stage. Steve was in plus four and like a little little baggy hat and he was the caddy. The other two golfers were there and, and Renee just said to me, we got that all out of stock. Mm. And it was just this great win of going, to make that amazing image, we actually didn't spend any money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there was a pair of pants, she said, from the 1970s there <laughs> uh, that the actor that we had happened to fit into and these bright yellow pants. I'm like, oh, my goodness, we have been saving those (laughs) since the 1970s. And she knew because the price tag was still on it (laughs) and they were folded, like, from the original purchase. And you just go, so a designer somewhere in the 1970s bought that pair of yellow (laughs) pants and didn't use them. (laughs) And so we've stored them for all that time and then they were featured on stage. And you go, there's something kind of magic in that. Mm, It's had its first incarnation. (laughs) Yes, 50 years later. And you go, that's that's kind of nuts. But that's sort of the, the power 
power of a large company mm-hmm. is the ability to keep things across years. Because mm-hmm. when, you, when you're working on outside of company structures you, as an independent or commercial producer, you're just doing that one show. Yes. And once it's done, the cost of storage isn't built into your model mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So the theatres, I suppose, on some level, were always set up to stop that wastage. Yes. So that we can reuse mm-hmm. and repurpose. Yes, we're very lucky in that. Respect yeah. and to have the space to be able to store. I remember I was doing, a, and this is in the more in the props world, but I was doing a production of Hay Fever down at uh, Melbourne Theatre Company, and I went into the prop store, and I was, we were doing it in period, mm-hmm. so absolutely nineteen twenties, and I was, I was like, "What have we actually got?" And the, the person who was in, in charge of props brought out the precious things that they'd kept for. S- like special period works as opposed to, oh, I need a, a this and that's an old one, let's just use that. So that uh, only when things are being used in actual period yes. are people handling them in the style of that period too. So they're taking care of things yes. in a way. So they pulled out all of his beautiful collection of original cigarette lighters <gasps> oh, and they were fully wow. functional. And the actors had to learn how to light their pretend cigarettes, but even so, (laughs) their pretend cigarettes, in the style of the 1920s. So it was this beautiful thing. Being able to put the original things in people's hands is sometimes a magic moment for an actor. Mm. They go, this is, they're really heavy. Oh, and I have to hold it this way. And you'd have the same thing when you're dealing with the, you know, the the corset world, the wigs world, the the hats. Mm -hmm. You know, we've forgotten how to wear hats. But yes, an actor whose job it is to be inspired into their character will often sit in or stand in costume. And as you offer just the early things, mm. you can watch them, can't you? Oh, yes. It, you, you can see the, the change and they're just developing. Yeah, and it helps to Yeah, the angle of their body there. and they start to act the hat mm. <laughs> or, you know, the gloves, um, the corsets. You know, we're going into a show, Bernhardt Hamlet, uh, in a couple of months' time, we'll start rehearsal on that one. And that's set in the Belle Epoque in like late late 19th century Paris. And there are a couple of costumes that require the full, the full corset catastrophe. Uh, and we've got the actors already coming in to start yes. that process. Yes. It's certainly a time of construction yeah. to get a corset. And they're, they're not the most comfortable thing to wear, but you hold yourself in a different light as soon as you corset it up. And it gives you a bit of information mm. about what it must have been like to live in that. We don't ask the actors to go home and spend 24 <laughs> hours in things, but we all, it gives them a, a sense of what, how people held themselves, mm. which is part of the society that they were in at the time. But it is fascinating watching young actors who might not have had that in their training mm. start to come to terms with it. It's kind of hideous, oh, but yes. kind of wonderful to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very secret place, really, the costume space, isn't it? Yes. Creatively. Yes, it is. We're in our own little world, but helping to provide that extra step to their character. Well, when you come to the Bill Brown, if you if you go up to the first story level, just above the tree, there's a window with some Venetian blinds and you'll be able to see into the costume room, which is which is your domain really, yes. isn't it? <laughs> we try to put little special pieces for display when got different shows on. So. Yeah, and you can catch yes. a glimpse of some of the work that, that people have done. And from time to time, we'll put some of those those pieces down in the foyer. Mm. And it's a lovely memory for people sometimes. You know, you remember a particular dress from Ladies in Black, perhaps. Yes. And <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, a, a lovely reminder that it still exists mm. in the city. There's a special place in the city where these things are still kept. And we get, the, get them out and celebrate the work of the designers and also revive the memories in a funny way. Mm. And, yes, it does jog the memory by just seeing that 
that one visual. So. It's always lovely for me when there are in, there's something in the foyer and you see a group of people clustered around it remembering when they saw mm. that piece and or the arguments about what it was in, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and what they were doing. Because it's, it's less about oh, reminding people of the play but reminding them of what they were doing in that time. Mm. And I don't know about you, but my COVID memory is shot. I can't, like, thinking about 2019, I kind of go, the date, what did I do in 2020? I don't know. So sometimes the plays that we saw will help us refix the memory. Mm -hmm. Correct. There's also a really funny moment that happens, I love, because we keep a track when a costume's assigned to an actor. We label it so that we know that it's theirs, right? So in all of the shirts and socks and undies and shoes and pretty much every piece of fabric that you see on an actor's body, there's a name tag. And... That's how we keep track of them with laundry yes. and cleaning. But it's also, it's part of the the heritage of the company. And then you come in and sometimes you'll be given a, a pair of pants or a shirt from an actor for before. And you can watch the, the actors go, oh, I'm treading in the shoes of X actor. And sometimes, you know, there'll be people like, and they go, oh my God, Billy Brown wore this. Mm. So it's, again, a lovely moment across time where people, actors sort of remember the heritage of what it is that they do. Mm. It's like the piece has its own history and knowing who else has worn it before, it, yeah, it certainly fills the joy for some people to know, oh, wow, Carol Burns wore this, or oh, these shoes were worn by, so, yeah. yes. It is kind of lovely, it's, but there's this really funny thing which happens. All of those the, those labels have to be put in from the first day of rehearsal, so whenever they're used and picked up and moved, they can always be tracked back to you. Yes. You can get them back and get them in order so they can be worn the next time or the next show. But there's this funny thing as a director because invariably it'll be sewn in a really convenient place and we'll go into tech and I'll be like, oh, can we move that label? <laughs> well, it seems like a small thing, but that involves someone actually finding a point which is not visible to the audience at any point because as soon as you're seeing a label, you're seeing a show, it breaks yeah. the illusion, right? So there's this layer of like sewing and tracking that goes on that is incredibly important but very invisible. Mm, yes, sometimes they have to be put in very discreet places or covered with the same fabric so that it's labelled but nobody knows it's labelled. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we've got a whole process. There's, there's the things that can be cleaned in-house. Correct and managed in-house, but then there's every every week or sometimes every other day there's dry cleaning that mm-hmm. goes out on a show. Yes. Different things require different requirements. Things that have been art-finished don't get that sort of same treatment with dry cleaning because it will tend to remove anything. So those are the things that have been painted over the top. Yes. So often if there's wear and tear on a costume, obviously that's fake Mm. because we don't (laughs) necessarily have clothes that are that filthy, but they'll be painted filthy. Yes. So it's not disgusting for the actor to wear, (laughs) you know. So it's sort of the difference between, a little bit between theatre and film and TV in that often you're just wearing the skanky clothes yeah. in the film, <laughs> whereas we try to take care of the actors a little bit. Yes, so it's sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that things actually are clean so that they wear, as they're wearing them every day, it's not just getting worse and worse. And so that doesn't genuinely smell. <laughs> We're not into smell-arama <laughs> theatre, not really. But that all of that stuff, the paint that goes on is not necessarily cleaning proof, is it? No, not always. There are certain elements that and processes to make them steadfast, but yeah, the dry cleaning process can strip away that sort of thing. And is that just through testing you figure that out on particular yes, costumes? Yes, yes. 
that and experience. Experience, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, I remember, oh, whoops. <laughs> do, I remember doing a show at NIDA with this beautiful silk wedding dress, but it had to get blood on it. Yes. Right. And um, then it was the, there was the whole process of trying to find the right blood that would wash out of the clothes that was non-toxic for the actors mm. in case it got in their mouths. Yes. It was a messy show. <laughs> uh, and then there was a certain point where this particular fabric, after a few washes, just turned, mm. went from a whitish colour straight to yellow. Yeah. And I was horrified and the designer was horrified, but we both, that's why you go to NIDA, to learn things like that. And suddenly there was a yellow wedding dress in the middle of this whole thing because we didn't have the money to spend again. So we both kind of learned that thing of test the wear and tear on particular fabrics means that maybe it's not the right choice for that particular costume. Correct, yeah, depending on what's required out of the costume and or if there is things like blood or other stage makeup. Do you have secret recipes for blood? Well, we've got... There's a great supplier overseas that has got a really good blood that uh, washes out. Washes out. Yeah. But, yeah, it's still, we still test on fabrics just to make sure. Yeah. But, yes, blood gets everywhere. Everywhere it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it's unbelievable. So the bloods, that, the bloods that we work with are kind of, obviously they're not real blood, although I have been on a show which used a real blood oh, before. Wow. Yeah, that was gross. <laughs> um, the difficulty with real blood is the colour goes off so mm. quickly it goes brown yes. so it doesn't actually stay red but it moves in a particular way mm. yeah there's different textures of it textures and how fast is it and the consistencies <laughs> and these amazing experiments happen in the in the backstage the costume space and it's again it's that question of bringing together the designer the props designer yes. everyone in costume to kind of go everyone feeds in their own knowledge mm. right and it's always fun when you get around blood because it's like <laughs> people go oh I found this X or or we can't afford to bring in in that much of that really expensive international blood. Yes, exactly. So, so who's got a good recipe and who, who's willing to share their good <laughs> recipe? Like there are secret conversations that happen across the costume rooms around the country on different shows where people are looking for help. Definitely, yeah. yes. There's tricks in, in the trade of, yes, different people have different ways of different stain making removers. it happen. Yes, adding soap to the blood. and Yeah, adding soap to the blood, yeah, yes. so it doesn't stick. Mm. So essentially it would be, yeah, the difficulty with the soap to the blood is if it's going near the mouth yes. of the actor, it's really <laughs> disgusting. I mean, I do kind of go a little bit of soap in your mouth, it's not going to kill you, but I'm not allowed to do arts. that anymore. We used to be able to just say to actors, I'll suck it up, and now actually they have a lot more power in the room, as they should, because generationally speaking, they used to put up with a whole lot of stuff. I remember, I mean, the old stories of, um, the lead makeup mm, yes. used to be lead in all of our makeup, and ultimately that's been taken out, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Yes, <laughs> um, but there are different things. I, I don't know if it's if it's legal anymore, but there used to be a, a tears maker, like ah. used to spray these little crystals into your eye, and it would make you tear up. I have no idea what it was, but they used to use them in film all the time. And I remember saying to someone a, a couple of years ago, I remember this thing called Namie's Crystal Tears, and I were like. I don't think that's legal anymore. I'm like, oh, my God, what was I spraying into actors' eyes all that time ago, you know? But it's interesting also different sensitivities, mm. what people can and can't wear. Yeah, jewellery especially. Some fabrics are very, people are allergic to certain fabrics or even the washing detergent that we may use. So, yes. You, so you get to know the actors pretty well, don't you? Yes, and, and they've got to be comfortable and to yeah. share that sort of information too. Yeah. And, and to think, oh, best I'd let you know that before. 
Yeah, and then in a wool suit. (laughs) Yeah, wool suit or polyester. Sometimes period stuff, Mm polyester-wise. You know, Um, well, it's just that thing, isn't it? You start going through all of these these bits and pieces, and you start to realize the detail Mm -hmm. that you need in order to keep a show running over like it's five, six, seven, eight weeks. And that's before you get to the idea of Broadway, Mm. where they have to stitch things so that they can last for six months, a year, where they're being taken on and off a body at speed. You know, because when actors have got adrenaline in them, they're not necessarily taking care yes, in yes. performance. They're a lot stronger with adrenaline than they realise and they'll rip a, a shirt off in a quick change and unless it's ready for that, you'll lose buttons. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, often there's a term that we have for those super fast changes backstage called quick change. And as a director, you're reading it through and you're kind of going, oh, we'll have to quick change that. Mm-hmm. And it's a shorthand that we use that says, essentially we need things like elastic shoelaces so they don't have to untie shoelaces. Zips need to be replaced placed yes. because or, or super strong super strong or yes or removed completely <laughs> buttons what do you, buttons turn into poppers or in the worst case scenario velcro depending on yeah sound sort of, yeah. yeah because no one loves the sound of velcro it's like one of those terrible sounds as a director you're in tech you get to the quick change and you can hear the velcro backstage and you're like no i can hear the velcro and everybody goes okay we'll change it to poppers for the next one but it's it's that thing about Sometimes things seem impossible. You get a quick change and you just go, how do I take this person from this contemporary dress to a full period thing in 30 seconds? And everybody goes, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. It's not possible. And then somehow we fail completely the first time, right, in tech. Without a doubt. (laughs) And the actor comes on stage and it's usually the, well, this is never going to work. This is never going to work. We're not going to be able to do the play. It's a disaster. And then we do it again and then... Three people stand around and go, well, if I did this and you did this and different hands and is it quicker if I do that? And the actor goes, no, it's quicker if I do that myself. This whole little choreography is worked out. And then somehow magically by week three in the run, Mm. they've got time for a cigarette. (laughs) That 30 seconds somehow turns into way too much time. But the magic of being able to pull that off, you know, and how many hands you need. It is such a choreographed moment. Yeah. Yeah. And the planning for that and then how the costume survives it, what sort of doubles there are, Mm -hmm. because that might not be their costume through the whole thing. It could just be for that moment to pull off that transformation, but it's got to look like their regular costume. (laughs) Sometimes we trick things up. And so I haven't been to see Frozen, but I so totally want to go to see how they do that magic transformation of the dress. (laughs) I've watched it on screen. I'm like, oh, I have to see that because it's the tricks, isn't Mm. it? Yes. It's the knowledge, like all of the filing of all the tricks that pulls off a magic moment so that the audience can go, how the hell was that possible? Some things they should never know. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it keeps the illusion alive. It's true. It's true. It isn't about creating a magic illusion. And you'd be probably one of the people that knows all the magician's tricks. (laughs) It's hard to watch a show and not be wondering what's going on or to know. How how did they do that? Yeah. (laughs) I remember... I worked on a Julie Taymor show a long time ago as an actor and they had a, a, a tearaway costume yes. to reveal, the to do the costume change and the actors had to walk on really carefully because it was magnets mm-hmm. and uh, fishing wire yes. that pulled two <laughs> ways from other sides of the stage, right? So teams on either side off stage and the actors had to walk in and not cross over each oh. other, right? And and not, like, flap their arms around because it would fall apart. So they actually had to act very unnaturally until that moment. Great effect and the pull away of the costumes. And getting that moment right took such a long time and all of the planning and the figuring out. But 
pulling it off each night was pretty amazing. And I've always wanted to do a whole thing of tearaway <laughs> costumes. We just won't. We won't yet. But did tearaway jeans in tearaway Boys jeans. Swallows universe? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And and look, I think a lot of the magic was destroyed when the basketballers started doing that back in the nineties. Yes. Yeah, when we all knew the trick and it wasn't so fun anymore. But it's still fun. Mm. Still fun. It generally means, though, that the actors have got layers of things underneath, which means they also get super hot. Yes. And they're like back again to the individual actors. There are some actors that run hot and some that run cold, where you can stick five costumes on them and they won't sweat. And then others where there's a lot of sweat involved. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's certainly a factor with facial hair, wigs different costumes that they're wearing. Yeah, because, yeah, of course, with a lot of sweat, there's not a lot of glue that will survive a lot of sweat. So when you see a moustache fall off, <laughs> it's just it's kind of an impossible thing to keep on at certain points. Definitely. So it's that funny thing. If you need actors with really robust skin, <laughs> I always think about that when we get to miking a show. Because, so, mm. of course, microphones, you've got to stick down yes. so that they don't move around, which means, of course, we're sticking sticky tape on there skin and again <laughs> some people are allergic to that too so we've got different tapes and different ways of concealing it some actors you can't stick any tape on them mm. so that's then got to be concealed in the costume yes which is a whole other process making pockets to stick the the audio microphone packs in yes <laughs> I was thinking of costume when I was watching the I must have been the finals of the voice last year sometime and there was a girl band and they were in these pastel, beautiful pastel costumes. I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's quite spectacular. And then they all turned and walked away and they've all got mic packs, <laughs> two mic packs because they had to double mic everybody, two mic packs covered in the colour of their satin. And I was like, oh, someone had to stay up late at night making those mic, those mic packs to match, to blend into the dress. And, of course, from the front you can't see anything, but these tucked-in mic packs in pink satin, I just say, <laughs> yeah. Always that little bit of extra fabric just to make the mic pack, just right? Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fascinating world of detail. Mm. How is it that you found yourself drawn to it? I studied fashion just through TAFE, but I didn't want to be a designer. I hands-on and I always loved the world of theatre. So I did work experience at the opera company and the rest is history. Yeah. Right that, place at the yeah, right, right time. time. Yeah. You see that thing of hands-on, have you always had a relationship between your hands and fabric? Yeah, yeah. You like, yeah, like, I, I'm a tactile person. like to garden, like to do things. <laughs> yeah, so that thing of where your gifts in your hands, mm. yeah, it's a fascinating thing that for me and for people that, especially in the fabric world, people, you know, you see it in little kids sometimes, they're the kids whose hands will go out to touch something Yes. and you see a beautiful fabric and they just want to touch, which is why all of those signs don't touch, <laughs> but it's for those kids. But you kind of go, so for some people, the information that they get through their hands, mm. it's it's like some people have great ears. Yes. It's fascinating watching some of the documentaries that have been made in the last few years about the ateliers and the, of the different designers mm -hmm. and watching the people in their backstage and how they can make a fabric move in the way that a designer sketched. Mm -hmm. You know, the sketch is one thing. Yes. But, but that question get... of to actually capture the essence of the design, mm -hmm. make it real, what is that fabric? How does it move? How can you stitch it? Yes. Yeah. How do you cut it? <laughs> yeah. The people are great cutters. It's, again, oh, it's... But that's a world of itself, yes. Yeah. The great suit makers. Mm. How do you, like, how do you get a suit to hang on a, on a strangely shaped mm. body? Because nobody's symmetrical, so it's it's not always easy to, to get something to look great on someone. 
the mannequins that we have, are they adjustable? Not, no, not the ones. We, yeah. We pad out the, yeah. the mannequin to suit different shapes and if someone's got asymmetry a, yeah, and yeah. got a different body form on one side, then yeah, we try to make them into that mannequin and go from there. Yeah, right. But that's the beauty of being able to fit fit the artist as well and the twirling process, which is... Which is where you make a, a version of it a in, a, yeah, in a calico a or something? In a, in a similar, yeah, similar weight fabric just yeah, to... Because right. measurements can, yeah. And that question of how it then needs to move yes. on that body. Yeah, yeah, it's not just a stationary item. If, it, if they need to lift their hands in the air, there's different processes that are required as well. Yeah, right. And it's also that, that funny thing of having something made for your body. I mean, in my mum's generation, they always, they used to make their own clothes. Mm. So they were used to things being fit to them rather yes. than going out and buying them. But a lot of actors now, it's like when we're making a costume from it, it's the first time they're having something made to fit them. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a joy for them to have something that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing, like especially with male suits, mm -hmm. when you see them actually in a, a suit fit for them, you kind of go, there's such a huge difference between what you can buy off the rack, even with some adjustments so the mm -hmm. length and waist is fine. Yes. It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. It's a different thing when something's fit to you. You can see them standing a little bit differently and then mm -hmm. there's always that moment where they go, can I buy this? <laughs> yes. And we do sell them to the actors sometimes, mm. don't we? Yeah, depending on if, if we know that we're going to get a lot of use out of it. But, yeah. If it's something so specific to their body. To that character, yes. Uh, and we go, the likelihood of us using it again is pretty slim. Mm. It's lovely to be able to let the actor take that because sometimes sometimes gowns wise mm. they're going to use it mm. in openings and things like that more than we ever would yeah yes <laughs> yeah sometimes sometimes actors are so teeny you kind of go it's <laughs> going to be years before we get someone as teeny as that or super tall yes yeah there's definitely like in that in that different thing so yeah sometimes although sometimes that counts against it for the super tall actors or the actors with super large feet or super small feet we'll keep them so we've got that <laughs> just size in case. just yes. in case because there's always going to be another size 13 <laughs> walking through the door. <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it, that thing of we all go through it with our own wardrobes where we go, oh, should I keep that? No, I'll, get, I'll never wear that again. Mm. And then literally <laughs> the next year you go, oh, no, that would have been perfect. Shouldn't have got rid of it. So we have that same process too, don't we? We do. And part of it is not what we like or think we should have. It's, yeah, trying to work out what will we need in the future or is it easy to get this style or colour or... Yes, it's not an easy one. <laughs> but isn't it fun when you've predicted well mm. and a couple of years later someone picks it up and you go, oh, yeah, yes, good, good job, good <laughs> job. we kept that one. <laughs> yeah. What about, what about wigs? Is that, does that come under your...? Uh, we helped catalogue with, yeah. with the time yeah. time not working. But, no, I, I don't do wigs as such. So that's just a, a section yes, within costume it. but it's a specialised... Yes, specialised. Oh, I'm going to gonna, I'm gonna have to find a wig <laughs> conversation to have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that will be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is that thing, all mm. of the specialist knowledge that mm. sits inside a company. You know, there were questions, and this is around the world with all of the theatre companies. It's the first time theatre has actually been existentially threatened mm. in probably the history of theatre. Yes. You know, maybe individual theatres in, in war wartime situations have been shut down, but not the whole idea of all of theatre stopping mm. in a particular time. And that question talking to government about what it is that we're preserving. Why can't everybody just go home mm. and get another job? And you go, 
we don't we can't lose these people because people have such specialist knowledge that they've gathered over many many years it's not about retraining for another job it's mm. actually about how do we how do we keep them so that when we start up again we're not starting from scratch in all the specialist areas yes. i can't imagine trying to replace you and your knowledge mm. of both the company and the knowledge in that gambling brain that you have, what do we keep, what do we not keep, that sense, that instinct that you have is built over years and years and years of watching what we do and don't do mm. and observing society and what stories are we telling. So, And how do I, how do I explain that yes. to an arts minister or, a, a you know, a mm. prime minister <laughs> that what we're preserving is an extraordinary tradition mm. that is handed down, like the knowledge is handed down it's an oral tradition. A lot of this knowledge isn't written down. No, and it's not a learnt thing as such either. No, you've got your particular gift mm. and your sensibility and then you've picked up all these other things. But if I asked you to write down everything you know, you mm. couldn't because you don't know it <laughs> until you need to know it, right? Yes, definitely. And then you absolutely know it. And in running a company, I just rely on that, mm -hmm. the speed of all of that knowledge hived in the specialists. That yes. again, I mean, you all come to come to the show and you'd be standing next to Barb in the foyer and you'd never know <laughs> the eyes or that the person that she's sitting next to her in the, in the audience, the, the, the eyes that you're looking with mm. and how you're evaluating. You're probably like, you know, less sucked in by all the illusions. Oh no, I get, <laughs> I get drawn there too. You but, do? Mm. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. When you kind of go, when, when a production pulls off something and you kind of just get carried away by the wonder of it too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. No, it happens. Yeah. And then there's like the secret correspondence that happens the next day when you send something <laughs> to the department and you yes. go, that was amazing. I've no idea how you did it, but I'd love to talk to you about it later. <laughs> <laughs> like magicians sharing yes. their Share secrets. those tricks. Share the tricks, yeah. It did take me quite a while, and this is again out of out of department, but it took me quite a while to learn how they did the magic carpet in Aladdin. Oh. I did find out about that, but I feel like I'm part of a club and I can't tell it publicly. <laughs> but it was kind of magic because I couldn't figure it out. It was so good. And I thought I knew all the tricks, and I was like, oh, Disney invented a new trick. No way. But, I mean, it's funny working in the same industry, really, as, as companies like Disney, mm -hmm. where there's the big money, yes. the big invention. Of course, they're not going to do Aladdin until they've got they've got the magic carpet. Yes, because well, that's that Aladdin. don't do it <laughs> until you uh, until you've got that because they have to pull off that illusion. Absolutely. So once they got the technology, then they could do the show, right? Mm. And you go, and it's worth it because there's this magic moment where people are sitting in the audience and go. That looks like it's flying. It can't be flying. I know there's no such thing as a flying carpet, but how are they doing it? And you can't pick it. Mm. And it's really lovely. And when you know you can only just see it, but unfortunately you have to be focusing on it so carefully <laughs> that you miss the performance and why would you do that? But we, we work in the same industry as Disney. Mm. And Disney has got the money, all the money in the world, to put into the illusions. And often we're doing it with fishing wire and a couple of magnets and a bit of <laughs> sticky tape. So we're at the bottom end of that, but it doesn't make, mean it's less magical. Mm. No, we, we can still create that illusion. Yeah. And it's it's that funny combination of, of all the bits and pieces and the speed with which people work. I think that's also, again, that thing of the, the knowledge allows decisions to happen at speed because you actually, the first time you made that decision was 20 years ago. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe not the director. You get new directors coming in, you get new designers, but you can answer for them you know, a much faster way than that. We, we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, yes. I suppose. That's the principle of the big companies. Mm. But, yeah, and the sharing of information to keep the creation. Yeah. 
is nice. Yeah, like love those moments where a designer say, we can have bubbles. I'm like, no, we can't have bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why not? I said, because it actually stains the silk. <laughs> if a bubble lands on a silk, like the yes. little soap bubble <laughs> will actually leave a line on the, and you go, yeah, right. And Elsa, it's really slippery on the floor, <laughs> really slippery. And you start actually having actors fall over. That's not great. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's like sometimes I'm a real killjoy. The knowledge is like, no, can't do that. No. <laughs> I was just thinking about the stuff that comes out of the sky and the interaction with stuff. It was funny on Othello. We did the first performances of Othello, the Othello that'll be in Brisbane Festival this year, up in Cairns late last year. And, you know, you prepare all of the stuff, you know, you think you've got it all, and then ultimately you realise Jimmy's getting wet twice in the show and so you actually have to have a third version mm-hmm. of the costume because you can't put <laughs> wet clothes back on quickly. No. Yeah, you can get the, you might be able to get them off quickly, but you cannot get a wet pair of pants on quickly if you think about doing that. So there's always the rain. I mean, blood we're prepared for, but there's rain and there's the getting wet, yes. which we only really learn about in tech. There's all the planning in the world and then there's the surprise moments where you go, oh, gosh, no, we've got to fix that. That's not going to work. <laughs> yes, and shoes don't love wet. And the oh. drying process in between the wet. Oh, my God, trying to dry the costumes in cans. <laughs> in the humidity. In the humidity, well. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting as we talk and think about making more work up in cans, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, all the drying time thoughts that we have in this building, which is so, you know, learned and understood. You go, nah, the humidity in cans. <laughs> Got to have three versions of the costumes so that we can do two shows in a day. Yes, definitely. The craziness of that. I hadn't actually built in. Mm. The idea of humidity. And as you said, it's not till it's done does do some of these things present themselves. Yeah. And it's also a mysterious world also of equipment. When you said you put them in the freezer, I'm like, you've got a freezer in the costume <laughs> department? <laughs> Makes sense. But I'm like, where's the freezer? Because you've got all sorts of stuff. The, the, the drying boxes, yeah. the different ways of drying. They're amazing. The, the drying cabinets that we have, it's, yeah. For the delicate things, for the wigs, that's the way that they're set and put in the drying cabinets. Yeah, right. Mm. Shoes. And what is vodka spray? (laughs) Well, (laughs) the truth? No. Um, It just is like a deodoriser. So if there's a costume you can't wash? Mm. You can spray it with vodka and it just neutralises any odour. There was a very, when I was working in a smaller company where there was a little bit of a festival show on and there were a couple of... uh, very talented drag queens, and one of them drank the vodka spray. I was like, it's not really vodka. You shouldn't be drinking that. It was very funny, though. It's not normally a good vodka, either. No, no, but, like, it was a very funny moment. She was like, well. I'm like, yeah, sure, fair enough. <laughs> Never didn't think about that. But, um, yeah. Yes, there are some magic sprays. Sphagnum moss, which is a natural product, that's another great deodoriser. Just mix it with water. and I'm going to come to you for all of my... Tricky to... Yes, all the little handy hints. The handy hints. We, we might have to have, like, something on the website, you know, handy hints for cleaning where people can, call, like, email in their questions. Yes, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, because there is, it is that funny thing. You've, you've pretty much faced every problem that can happen with fabrics. Mm, things that you don't expect, that the stains of different fabrics rubbing against each other or, like, a new belt. A new belt. Yes. The different food. Mm. Like, you know, it's a great thing when a playwright writes a food fight and then you just go, <laughs> oh, no, we're going to have to clean all of that. What food looks good but doesn't stain permanently? Yes. You know, we end up in, like, throwing potato a lot, <laughs> let's be honest. 
<laughs> yeah, not so much beetroot. Mm. Yes, not a good thing. All of that, the str- strange devices, uh, with the cheese grater. Why is there a cheese grater in the... Well, that, that helps to distress costumes, just to give it that worn and aged look. Yes, there's a, a few different things in uh, the art finishing room that <laughs> one wouldn't expect to be there. No, like you look <laughs> around, there's a sandpaper and there's a cheese grater and then you kind of go, oh, yeah, right, so you're wrecking fabric essentially so it yes. looks worn out. Yes, indeed. When you're walking around in the world and you're looking at the way things are worn, how they wear, are you looking for how to reproduce it in your head? Do you think your eyes just do that automatically? Possibly, yeah, without yeah. consciously thinking that. Yeah, because you're the person that has to just look at it you're in the room of people kind of going, yeah, that looks right. Yes. That looks like it's worn, not fake worn. <laughs> and it's certain areas that you do get wear on an item. So, yes. And Nat has the the eye for that as well. Yeah. So knowing and we have specialist art finishers that come in that that's their thing. Yeah. They know where and how to get that look. And you need to know the specialist art finishers. And things have been complicated, haven't they, in the last couple of years with film oh, and TV? Yes. Yeah, Fil- film has stolen lots of our good good people. Which is great <laughs> that they've been working That's, yes. when theatre's been so unstable. Mm. But, so again, tricky. I go back to Disney. I mean, I love Disney, <laughs> don't get me wrong, and I love their shows and I think they're kind of an amazing force. But they're, it's interesting the experiences that people are getting working on American productions and the way Americans work. But... I'm hoping that they'll just come back to theatre <laughs> because it's more fun. Yes. <laughs> the hours are much nicer. <laughs> well, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Generally. So, well, someone said, said they're they're just they're just starting to work on a, a Disney TV show for the next year, and they just said it was described to, to them as tech for eleven oh, yeah, months. Yes. <laughs> and our tech our tech weeks we we have a few days of tech, and tech is our shorthand for technical rehearsals when we put the the play in the theatre with all the lights and the sounds, and uh, we have to solve all the problems finally. How are we going to do it on the night with all the actual ingredients? And it's kind of great. I love it, but it's exhausting. The days are super long. We go from sort of eight in the morning. Well sets will be in even before then. So mm-hmm. the schedule sort of runs from 7 in the morning through to 11 at night. And, you know, these, these days we do lock the theatre and push people out. <laughs> we used to just work through the night to get things done, not legal anymore. But... Um, and not safe either. So we try to be a little safer and a little bit gentler on people. Kind theatre is what we're trying to do. <laughs> but um, it's a sort of a great miserable time because we're all in it together. We're all working to this huge deadline of the first audience. And the thought of doing that for 11 months... Like when someone said that to me, I just got exhausted. The thought of it, I was like, I don't even know how to do it because you can do it, get through a tech week because you're heading towards o- opening and then, and then we fall over at the end of opening. You know, we're like, oh, great. And everybody's going, it's amazing. And you go, yeah, 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 I'm exhausted. And we all go away, but we pull it off. Mm. And that funny thing of theatre people being such deadline people, we do have like a, what I call a drop-dead deadline, mm. which is the audience comes in. And by that point, it if is. we're not done, I'm the director that's got to stand up in front and go, okay, so things aren't finished yet. Yes. <laughs> but ultimately, opening is our dead deadline. Yes. And something has to be completely done by then or it's never going to be mm. done. And some actors don't like things to be changed mm-hmm. once they've had an audience that, there can yeah. be some superstition in there as well. A little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Changing of costumes, changing of shoes mm-hmm. is a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if actors have had their shoes since sort of day, uh, week yeah. two we of rehearsal. We try to get them in. As early as they mm-hmm. can so they're working with the, the heights 
oh, I suppose shoes just move different ways, yes. don't they? They figure out how long they can stand in those heels, <laughs> uh, how slippery the shoes are, what mm-hmm. the actions are, how those are going to, what the wear and tear is. But if you change the shoes, mm. it's a huge thing. And you try to not do that no. late. <laughs> no. Sometimes fixing things, though, sometimes, you know, something's actually hurting actors. Yes. And you kind of go, now, how do we actually make this doable? Because mm. their, their body's got to be able to do it eight shows a week. Oh, yes. Yeah, sometimes it's a requirement so that it makes their life easier, not harder. Yeah. Again, it comes back to you're, you're dealing very closely with the bodies of actors mm. and the individuals and how they move and what they need in order to create the character for the audience. Mm-hmm. It's a funny thing talking about it all. It feels, it feels like no one should know that we do all of this. <laughs> yes, we do care. <laughs> we do. We absolutely do. And no, I don't think we need... It, the interesting thing for me is that as an industry, we don't need credit for all of that. Mm. And that's what's been interesting in the last couple of years is talking to government about what, what's in the companies and watching. And you realise, you know, everybody working in, uh, in the different... Um, organisations that support us governmentally, they're just regular people who go to the theatre and are involved in the bigger organisation of our existence, but not in the hands-on theatre. And I'm explaining all these things to them. They're like, really? I had no idea. We need to get better Mm. at talking about what it is that we do. And interestingly, one of the ministerial assistants came to me and said, and this is on the back of one of these podcasts, Mm. said to me, my daughter is really interested in that. She was listening to the podcast and she thinks she might be interested in that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Again, if you don't know that the job exists, mm-hmm. how do you find your way towards it? Again, a little bit of luck, yes. yeah? a little bit of right timing. <laughs> but the theatre is filled with so many particular skills. Mm. You kind of go, it holds all of these people. People just, again, think about the show that they see. Mm, yeah, the visual that's in front of but them. It's very not much all the-, the tip of the iceberg, isn't mm. it? A very attractive tip. Mm, very attractive tip. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it should be wonderful like that. But this this huge iceberg moving underneath what mm. the public sees. And I suppose for me, opening up, uh, drawing the curtain back, if you like, if you want that, mm. that metaphor, into what it is that we do is really about doing it for all of the people who love theatre. Mm-hmm. To kind of go, yeah, that I hadn't thought about that before, but that does happen. Yeah, there's a show going on behind this, <laughs> behind that stage. <laughs> well, it's true, isn't it? And the backstage mm-hmm. plot, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing, the actors get to rehearse for, you know, four or five weeks. Backstage, you, there's, you've got two or three goes to get it right and there's a whole rehearsed backstage process mm-hmm. that delivers quite invisibly <laughs> the show to the stage. Mm-hmm. And the team that works backstage is performing with as much intensity mm-hmm. as the actors on stage. It's just not visible. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, there are times where as a director I kind of go, are you willing to walk on stage in that moment? Sometimes we people the space with more bodies by asking backstage crew to put a costume on and walk on stage. Some people are okay with that and some people are not. And, yes, there is a loading. <laughs> so if you if you come on stage and you say a line, I think you get paid more. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you do. Or you should anyway. But it's always an interesting thing for people who've chosen a life backstage stage, a lot of people will just go, no, I don't do that. And you go, okay, fair enough. And I can't make them. (laughs) But sometimes there was a great moment, um, again, in Return to the Dirt, where one of our stage managers came on in a big Christmas present (laughs) costume. 
and uh, it completely stopped the show for half a turn of the revolve <laughs> because it was just because a lot of people knew that particular person and the laughter just stopped the show. And that was quite fun. He didn't resist and he actually winked at one point, which again, I was like, great, that's another three seconds of laughter, interrupting. <laughs> but, um, but yes, the backstage world of the theatre, it's, it's a funny thing that the backstage exists across all of the shows mm -hmm. and the family of people that work in the backstage space that come together around every show that we do to make it happen. It's a pretty special group of people and we work together under a lot of stress mm -hmm. from time to time mm -hmm. and then there are other times in between the shows where there's, a, you know, time for a bit of a, a cup of tea and a, and a conversation about, oh, remember this and, oh, I heard about this and what have you, have you seen and did you see this? <laughs> but it's actually the family that has all the knowledge mm -hmm. And each company has its sort of central family of makers who make every show. And it's really special to get to know that group of people. Now, most of you won't get to know them. You'll be sitting next to Barb or you'll be <laughs> sitting next to Dan Madison. You won't know who they are. But just I want the people of Queensland to know that there's an extraordinary group of people who take have the job of making sure that the stories that you see are made as well as they can be and that there's an extraordinary knowledge hived in this company that is years and years and years of storytelling. Not 60,000 years, no, mm. but a lot of years and a lot of knowledge that has gone to making this company the extraordinary company that it is. I feel very privileged to have come into the company and to becoming part of this family because it's, they're special people. The love of theatre, the care, the honour, the, the invisibility, and especially in a time when that's been... Uh, threatened mm. back in 2020. It was a bit existential, wasn't it? We didn't know if theatre was going to come back. So we know it's now we now know theatre will survive everything. Yes. <laughs> we can get through. But importantly, here at Queensland Theatre, we've made sure that the theatre family has survived mm. so it can keep making stories. And I think that's been really special to me. And I actually probably have to thank the Queensland government for a lot of that in making that possible. And the board of Queensland Theatre, who when we went to them said, no, we can't just let keep people go. Mm. We actually have to spend the reserves of the company to keep people employed so we don't lose people. They said yes. Mm. And that belief in the people who make the theatre, I think has been really important over the last couple of years. And I look at friends around the world in companies where that hasn't happened. And as they're starting to start up again, mm. they're starting from scratch as companies. Their families have been decimated. And I feel incredibly lucky here. And lucky to be sitting across the table from you, Barb, talking about all things theatre. <laughs> That's my favourite thing to do. And thank you for joining me. Thank you. And please know if you're, you know, if you're sitting at home thinking, oh, my God, I'm doing my HSC this year, what am I going to do with my life? But, you know, you actually, your, your hands have been drawn to fabric in your life and, and you've got an organisational brain. There's a, possibly a home here for you. <laughs> Find your path towards the theatre, maybe. It's a beautiful place to spend your life. Strange, mm. odd job, and good luck explaining it to anyone. That's <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for having a stab at, at, at explaining what it is that you do. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you back in the costume room for the next adventure. Yes, you sure will. Thanks, Bob. Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. Please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye. We keep it.